in Genesis. If you're new here, we go through books of the Bible. We have a bunch of Bibles out back. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Uh, if you need a pen, you can also raise your hand. And on the back of your programs, we got a hand raised right here. If you need a, on the back of your programs, you can um, write down uh, some notes if you would like. Uh, we go through books of the Bible. We, we feel like we our heart's desire is to, uh, by God's grace, is to want to get the whole counsel of God. And although it'll take a while, uh, we know that the Lord um, will be pleased with us trying to be faithful in that way. Uh, because I know not, just my natural tendencies is that we can stay towards safe books, easy books, which exalts me more than Christ. But what we want to do is say, what is God saying in the Bible? And just read and wrestle with it. And um, just try to um, not become just moral people. But really people who, who get the reality, the sufficiency of the cross, what Jesus has done. And not just how do I apply it to my life, but how do I give my life to him? So that's what we're doing right now, family. We are uh, in Genesis. We are in chapter 12. Um, if you remember, if you haven't been here for a little bit, uh, just a brief. Um, see if I can do this. Recap. And before I begin, just letting you know, if you have a huge question and you feel like it'll bless the whole body, please ask it. We do ask that you would uh, consider uh, the people of God. Um, if, if you can just hold off after, you can ask the question. But if you want to, it's not a faux pas at all. You can ask the question here. We dialogue about the scriptures, and we want to um, talk about what's true. Uh, we begin, the story of God begins, as we all know. And if you don't, um, when you go in the beginning of Genesis, uh, contrary to popular opinion, I would say, uh, you know, the, the, the natural... Uh, thinking in our in our world is that even the book of Genesis is about super science. And it seems like that's not the case. The, 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 the book of Genesis begins with the story of this beautiful creator who creates everything um, out of the abundance of his love. Right. He's not lacking, but he creates everything. And then he creates us as humans as his apex, as his his main main thing, his main squeeze, as you will. Right. And then we um, our job, he gives us a job description. He creates us with this purpose, with this value, with this um uh, with uh, with dignity and, and worth. And he says, look, I, I want you guys to do something because I'm, I'm good. I'm going to share my glory with you. And the way he shares his glory is he allows us to do things like him. And that's that's a beautiful thing about being 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 saved in Christ, knowing Jesus, is that we get to re, be recreated. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And we get to redo things like the Lord. And so the main things he wants us to do are what, guys? We bring glory and honor to God. We get that right. We bring glory and honor to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we do that through subduing right and ruling. Okay, that's those are the job descriptions he gives us in Genesis. So we're not just talking about Bible Bible study answers from specifically from Genesis. What does God give you? He says, hey, I want you to uh, do something with this world and I want you to do something to this world. Right. He wants you to be a steward of it. Um, and then he wants us to be a procreator of image bearing. Right. He wants us to allow his image to spread across the world so he can look around the world. and Go, wow, look at me. I'm so good. And he's um, very. And it's OK that he does that. But then but because of sin, we fall. Uh, because we choose to have the audacity to think we know more than God, right? We choose to say, hey, I think I can be God, and then we fall, and then the payment of, of sin is death. And what happens is that we're, we're taken outside of, of the garden, and now we're, there's this huge epic story, and it's this story that, hey, we're messed up, we're in sin, but sin is not out here somewhere doing something to us, but sin is in us, and we are corrupting the world. And that's and that's and so what we, what we begin based on men, we actually begin the process through our hearts, your heart and my heart. We begin the process of decreating the earth. OK, we begin the destruction of all of creation because of our sin. And then if you don't really believe that, that's what the narrative's for. 
That's what that's what Genesis four is for. Right. To see a man kill his brother, uh, to see murder happen so quick to see in Genesis five, to see all these different lineages and to see the same thing happens. You have basically a mundane life. You live, uh, you sin, you have some kids and you die. And then the only person who cheats death is the one, as it were, who loves God. Right. And that's just sort of a typology, just a precursor to the reality of what life is, is that the way you you cheat death is by giving yourself sacrificially to Jesus, realizing that Jesus, you're my king. That's the way you cheat death. Well, we continue on in Genesis uh, five. We continue. uh, We continue on to see sin. And then in Genesis six, it gets to the point where God is so frustrated that he says, you know what? Uh, Men are just sinful and our intents are to do sin all the time. My heart is broken. What I'll do is I'll show my justice and I'll destroy everyone. Um, and then we, we experience that if you're looking at Genesis 6 and also in Genesis 7. And then God is gracious. He uh, destroys the world. Um, but then he's so gracious, he says, well, I'll keep this guy, Noah. And then we find out that, again, the sin problem is still there. Noah, Noah is not alive because he's just better than everybody else, because he's more righteous. Actually, we I love that we get into uh, Genesis seven and eight and uh, we realize that, man, he's you know, he's sleeping. He's sleeping drunk and, you know, naked in the stupor, you know, would probably throw up, you know, oozing out of his mouth. So, you know, here's here's that's your perfect Noah. You know, you're going to put that on the ball. You know, when you got your little, you know, when you, when you paint your walls for your kids, you know, you got the nice boat and you got the little giraffe sticking out you know, the window and the little elephant ears. And then you got Noah laying there naked, you know, drunk like you won't do that. But that's the story. Right. But you got to add the carcasses because he kills all the animals and you got to add all the dead people who are on the ground. We don't tell that story. But that's what I love about the scriptures is that what the scriptures do is it tells stories. We you know it's from the Lord. It tells stories that you and I wouldn't tell. We wouldn't tell the truth like that. We'll try to make it a little bit. No, I mean, how can we really make death look kind of you know, nice? No. It says, no, I destroyed everyone. Right. Then I had he destroyed all. He killed all these animals to sacrifice. And then look at this sinful man. He's still messed up. But God says, I'm still going to bless you. You're still, as it were, going to be the new humanity. And you're going to be the new humanity, not because of anything you've done, but because of what I've done. Okay. So we continue on. So Noah's a new humanity. He brings out. Then we have the table of the nations here. A uh, very familiar passage. And we see again sin, sin re- revealing itself. That man just can't. We can't help it. We begin to want to build cities and then we want to begin to build power structures. And we begin to want to isolate ourselves and say, hey, let's just stay here. Let's be powerful. Let's be safe. The whole issue of the Tower of Babel. And then God says, you're so messed up, but because I'm so gracious, I won't let you do this because you're just going to destroy yourself. So I'm going to confuse the languages and you're going to all scatter. So it's like it wasn't a punishment. It was probably very gracious of God to do that. So we wouldn't annihilate ourselves. So we wouldn't have some huge, big power guy and him just kind of just just dogging and just 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 destroying everyone else because I'm more, I'm so powerful. And all of you guys, that's how we are. We we have the elitism that happens just like that in our life. You know, those who are power are here, those who have no power are here. And then we continue just to dog and demean those with no power. So he separates us all um, again. Uh, I'm sorry. In, in, in Genesis 10, and we enter into uh, Genesis Genesis 10 and 11. Then we get into uh, Genesis 12, where, where, where for a while we've been having this huge scope. We've been looking 30,000 feet and we're looking from 30,000 feet and we're seeing humanity. And then what God does is he begins to focus humanity on this person, Abram. And now we're going to be we're going to look at his family and see what redemptive history is talking about in perspective with Abram. So sin is still in play. 
out of all these thousands of years, we've, we're probably in 16, 1700 years now, there's still a sin problem. But we have a man who God calls out again with his covenant by grace because he's good. And he said, I'm going to do something through you. Now we are in verse 10 of chapter 12. And as you look in verse 10 of chapter 12, guys, I absolutely love this story. So now let's see how we're going to do this. A lot of information. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to figure out how to and help me here. OK, so I'm going to need you to really pay attention. Get your Bibles. We're going to have to talk about some big picture issues. There's going to be a, a couple main points that we want to make sure we know as we're reading the text. And then there's going to be some principles. I think there's some good principles we're going to learn here. But I want to make sure I can make a distinction um, between some of the principles and the main point of the passage that the author wants to tell us. OK, family. So I'm going to be jumping back and forth because, you know, uh, in teaching class and when you when you're t- learning how to preach like in seminary, they tell you to keep your focus on a big idea. But as I continue to read scripture, I just think a lot of times in your text, there's a couple of big ideas. And so I want to make sure that we're giving you all the big ideas, but also we're looking at some of the nuances and principles. So it'll be a lot of stuff. And, and our prayer is as you're getting this stuff, please don't leave here. I think I was really convicted even as we we're um, out together, the staff team, like our goal is not to make you moral people. Right. Cause you can get. Yes. That's how people watch Oprah. And, you know, and that's how people do that stuff. Right. And and go to, you know, necromancy people. And you want to be nice, moral people like that's not the goal. Our goal really is to give you Jesus. It's for you to have to wrestle with the reality of Christ and what he said. And then how does your life like how do you respond to that reality? OK, so that's what we're going to be about. OK, we're in, we're in verse 10. You ready, family? So we're going to we're going to hit it hard. Verse 10. Check out this story. Now, you remember, I just gave you the, the big precursor, right? I know that was a lot. That was 12 chapters in like, you know, two minutes. Um, but then you have, so we, we get to Abram. And he calls Abram and says, I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm going to bless you. What you laughing at? We can do this at Metcalf. So, uh, so I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do all this stuff. And then we, we get here and look at this story. So Abram's a man, right? Now, remember, we said he is the pinnacle of faith. We said in, in Hebrews 11, Abram gets, the, gets most of the play when you talk about the man of faith. I mean, we almost look at faith as synonymous with Abram. Okay, so you want to learn about faith, you look at his life. That's what the Lord tells us, right? Okay, so he's this awesome, righteous man. Well, let's look at the text. All right. So we've already seen this once. Our, 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 our hearts have already been shattered. We thought Noah was off the chain. And then you saw what happened with Noah, right? Well, okay, well, Abram, this is our guy. He's awesome. Right? Check this out. Verse 10, now there, and I laugh because there's hope. You think of your mind, think hope. Okay, now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Okay, and let's just pause there. All right, so we start the story off where there's a famine in the land, and he leaves and goes down to Egypt. I actually don't think it's by mistake that it says he goes down to Egypt. Uh, I actually think that the author's trying to tell you, uh, that he wasn't listening to God, and so almost his pathway now was down. And we'll see in a moment um, why, why I say that. So, now why wasn't he listening to God, you would say? Well, because God told him to go to a place where we left last. He went to it. He begins to worship the Lord, and, it, and we're living great, right? Praise the Lord. Abram's awesome. All of a sudden, a famine hits. He doesn't leave because God told him. He leaves because of a circumstance. Okay, so basically it seems in the text, God told him already to do something last week we were talking. So he did that. He's supposed to still be doing that. But a famine hits. He gets scared. I'm hungry. 
right? Brother hungry. And you go and he says, well, I got I got to find some food. And he goes down to Egypt. OK, now I know you're thinking and I, I love this text here because it makes sense in the natural realm. There's a famine. God, there's no food. Isn't this the next? Isn't this what I'm supposed to do? But here's what I love, too, about this. I love I love this. I love the fact that God says, hey, I'm going to we just we just left the text where he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your nations great. I'm going to do all this stuff. And then the next verse is a famine breaks out and he's starving. You know what Abram's thinking, right? Where's my blessing? Right. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be what you would be thinking? You know, you told me you're going to bless me. And next thing I get is a famine. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that like our, isn't it, I mean, I, I, I can identify with this. You become a Christian and, you know, you're crying, oh, my to love Jesus. And then the next week, your gas get turned off. You know, your boyfriend break up with you. Friends start dogging you. School gets hard. You know, sexual sin starts getting more. I mean, all this stuff starts, basically all hell breaks loose. And you're going, this the Christian life? I thought it was supposed to be real cool. I thought I was supposed to get blessed. I'm supposed to be building the nations. In the next verse, this brother has a famine. Can you imagine? I'm just thinking about it practically. God says, I'm going to hook you up. Thanks, God. All right. He's like, what, is, what happened to the bread? Where's the cheese? Very interesting, right? And now, and, and, I, and I want to make sure that, you know, in my mind, I was like, let me make sure I'm, giving, I'm being gracious to Abram. Because I think I have disobeyed God for, for far less. You know, at least the brother was starving. I mean, give him a break. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I look at my life. I mean, think of your life. Like, does it take just starving? Or is it something way more simple for you to say, I don't trust your promises, God. I go do my own thing. I think I'll just do my own thing. So we start off like that. Oh, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to hook you up. Nation is great. Your name will be great. Those who curse you, I'm going to curse. Those who bless you, I'm going to bless. Starve to death. Okay. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down Egypt to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Look at this. It says, as, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah. Now I love this. Oh, my goodness. Check out this story, y'all. All right. You ready for this? All right. So so he says in verse 11, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, right, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Now, you know, he's spitting game now. Right. So he's when you start, if your man started a combo like that, you know, something up. Right. You know, baby, you saw you off the chain. I just want to tell you, you know, what I'm saying? somebody tell you your girl like, well, what you need? I look at my beautiful wife. I go, Sarah, girl. But I, I do it anyway, don't I? I do it all the time. So you wouldn't even know. See, I, I hook you up. So you'd be like, oh, and then I got you. Now I'm going to do this. I ain't going to wait until you see what he does. Yeah, let me, let me slow down now, right? So check this out. So he says, baby girl, you off the chain, right? I know you are a beautiful woman, right? He says, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Now check this line out. Tell me this brother don't got game. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake. This ain't about me. It's about you. I want to serve you. So, see, it's not, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking about you, baby. 
And it's unbelievable. I mean, look at this man's game. I read this like 10 times. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Is this really happening in the scriptures? So he says, say you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. And notice, there is no response here. There's no response here to Sarah. Like Sarah doesn't respond. I'm convinced that she doesn't respond because she is so, and we're laughing. I wonder if she's so broken that her man would not stand up for her. I wonder if, I wonder if the text, he, I just wonder if she was like, really, dude? Like, this is what you're going to do? You're going to just, basically, you're going to make me a prostitute? You're going you're gonna to have me turn tricks for you? Really? I wonder. You know what's interesting about this passage? Notice something. It's not as if Abram's running down the street with Egyptians chasing him and then on the fly. You know, we all, I mean, I'm not trying to minimize sin, but I kind of get it. You, you have your impromptu sins. You know, you just get in the flesh real quick because of whatever the reason. But this is premeditated. This, is, this brother is thinking before he even enters Egypt. And he's saying, hmm, okay, I'm hungry. I need some grub. They probably got grub in Egypt, but they want to kill a brother if I get up in there. She hot, which, by the way, she like 75. <laughs> so I'm just saying, like, I was like, man, can you picture, like, I'm just wondering what's up with the, the, the Egyptians. Like, they think she's off the chain. I'm just imagining somebody going, man, your grandmother, man. Mm. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm sorry, Sarah. I don't know. So, so she's hot granny, right? And, and he's sitting there, and he's thinking about this, man. He, put, he puts the plan together. He had time. Right? And this is his girlfriend. not girlfriend and boyfriend. They married. You see, the, you see the tragedy in this story? All right, so... So he says, girl, this, 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 what do you think about that plan? Is that, is that all right? We're going to hook that up. Can you hook that up for our brother? Can, can, can you do that for me so I can help you? Right. So, so let me ask you, where, where do you think is the promises so far? It just seems like everything's downhill. Have you thought about that? Where are the promises? All these promises God, God said he was going to give. See, in my life, when I was, as I was reading this, I was convicted like, man, Lord, I wonder because he does this a lot in our life, right? You come to Christ, and what you think is going to be the Christian life is not. In fact, I have a good friend in this room. In one of our main towns, we talked. Um, he kept talking about all these things that God was supposed to do for him. You know, and he's been doing this. And God, I was at this point, I thought, I think I was supposed to get this. I think I was supposed to get that. And the Holy Spirit put it in my heart to say, you know what? What did you think you signed up for when you became a Christian? Like, what, what do you think? Everyone in this room, think to yourself, what do you think you're supposed to be getting? What are you presuming upon God? What are you saying? Are you going, hey, I came to Christ. Why don't I fill up, finish the sentence? Why am I not getting finish the sentence? I am convinced, I know in my own heart, we presume upon God. We say, I become a Christian, and here's what I'm supposed to get. And if I don't get it in two months or four months or a year, I'm out the game. It doesn't become an issue of, like, faith and, like, this reality, this truth reality. It really becomes an issue of convenience. I'm being inconvenienced. So, therefore, I think I'll bail out. 
I mean, isn't it, isn't it, isn't it the pool? Versus, oh, what the psalmist says, although you may slay me, I'll praise your name. And Job, you know, that reality. Um, can you continue on, please? So it says, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was very beautiful, a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh as she was taken into his palace. Check this out. Check this out, guys. Um, verse 16. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, man, men servants and maid servants and camels. All right. So see, see that picture? So you have Pharaoh who thinks he's God. Right. So he, you know, he's probably had all kind of concubines. He just, you know, thinks he's just a man. So he actually did think he was God. So they're chilling. So his boys see the girl, see the, you know, hot granny. Right. Wow. Mm. OK. We got to tell Pharaoh about this. Goes tell Pharaoh. Yo, man, I'm telling you, this is boo. You know, from her. You got to check her out. They go grab him. I mean, imagine this. Can you imagine Sarah? She's married. Husbands, think about this. So you married. You don't protect her. You don't protect her. You don't try to fight for her. You let them take your wife into the arms of another man. And eventually, they're going to have sex. I mean, he's, he's saying, uh, he's saying, you know, it's interesting. It's almost like, I think, okay, God gave me those promises but I, I, I fear if he's going to do it, so I think I need to do it. I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be great. Uh, I'm kind of nervous here, so, okay, I'll make her. I'll figure this out later. I'll just give her away because I'm scared, and maybe, you know, I'll get great because he, he becomes blessed. Look at all the stuff he gets. In fact, I wonder if the lie went through his mind, maybe briefly, I don't know, like, wow, Lord, praise the Lord. You bless me. You are a man who answers prayer. Look at all these. I got men servants and maid servants and, you know, all these animals. Can you imagine? He gets, he gets stuff. Why, his wife is a prostitute right now. Continue on, please. Check this out, guys. I want to show you something. So, so real quick, you know what? When I look at this, I, I, in, my, in my journey, as I, as, I, as I read Scripture, it seems like there's a concept that, we, that in our minds we go through in the sense of the blessings from God that I want to talk through. It seems like... There's a way, there's a motivation that hopefully changes as we grow in, as we grow in Christ. It seems we start our journey in Christ a lot of times where we, we want blessings from God and we desire to obtain those blessings no matter what the cost. Which, which means we'll, 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 we'll this is what we do a lot of times, we'll, we'll do good things for the blessings or we'll even sin for the blessings. We'll actually have the lie in our belief system that you, that the, the means does not justify the end. That, you know, you can, as long as you get this, it doesn't matter how you get it. That could be our lie. Right? Uh, we, as we continue to move on in Christ, though, can you continue up, please? Uh, we desire, it seems like we begin to desire good for the blessing, right? We desire good, but it's still not because we love God. Like, our passion is not from the Lord holistically, but it's really you desire good for the blessing. So you really get, you, it's almost like you learn how the game works. You know, we've learned that. So we go, okay, well, if I do some good stuff. And guys, I fall prey to this all the time. And in fact, you, you wouldn't believe some of the prayers and the things that I've said to the Lord where I thought to myself, well, 
something will happen bad to me. And I'll think, wow, so I didn't do this right. And if I would do this right, then this will happen good for me. Uh, And that happens a lot in my life. And that's mere witchcraft. That's not Christianity. But something happens, hopefully, in our journey as we continue to move on in our motivations as we please the Lord, where we move to we desire to trust God because he's good. And, and, and then what happens when you trust God because he's good, because when, it, when, it, when it flows from his character, now actually God gets to redefine the blessing. See, it's not that God doesn't bless us. It's that we have our own evil, sinful definition, and God has his good and pure definition. And what God is doing in his life, and I wonder even in Abram's life, is he's purifying his motivation so that he can see with God's eyes. You know, it's interesting. Continue on, please. So the principle is, is, is that we, I'm, I'm asking, and I'm asking you to hold me accountable. Let's not try to get our problems solved without holiness. Like, don't try to solve your problems and say, well, okay, God, you can help me if you want to, but if you don't, I'm still going to get mine. See, that's not Christianity. That's not trusting God. And, that's, and here's the thing. That's, that's a huge thing in our body. Because there's so much drama. And we say, well, I'll give you a week to work it out, MacAv. <laughs> work it out. And if you don't, I'm going to do my thing. And guys, I, don't, I just don't see God blessing that. I, don't, I know he hasn't given us the strength to help you with that mindset. But there's something that has to happen where we have to move on, guys. We have to move to this principle here. Okay? Continue on, please. Uh, so what happens here... In verse 12, it says, um, I'm sorry, I got lost. Are we still in verse 12? Oh, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases. So, so basically, he's in a harem. They're about to have sex. It says, verse 17, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his, ho- and his household because of Abram's wife, uh, Sarah. Um, now, uh, I'm just going to, you know, I don't know what happened here. All I know is something happened to the brother and his crew that made him say, I can't have sex. I need you to tell me what's wrong with me. All right. So I don't think he got a cough or a little slight cold or something. Because you know the brothers, right? We can, we can do something with, with a cold. But I think something happened where he's like, you need to tell me what's wrong with me. Right? So you do the math on that. So uh, now, what's interesting, though, peep game, guys, check this out. So what's interesting is this is foreshadowing. See, what, what, what God is doing here is he's trying to help us see something. And I think this is probably one of the, uh, the, the, one of the big main points. Just like this, this, this Lord, he noticed. So the, they come down to Egypt. Uh, then the Pharaoh takes them captive, if you will. Uh, and then the Lord sends a plague or a disease, if you will, to free them. Does that sound familiar at all? I, it seems to me that this is a typology of a typology. Is that what, you, what we have in Exodus is we have the people being in bondage by their king, by the king Pharaoh. And then God says, those are my people. You need to let them go. He says, no. He inflicts them with plagues and diseases where he says, hey, take your people. Almost the same vernacular. 
Well, all that's saying is is helping us understand what our great king did, Jesus, that we are in bondage. And then what Jesus does is he sets his he sets his captives, as it were, free from the bondage of sin and death and allows us to experience true life in that promised land that he's given us. Right. So the real question that you ask yourself in this text, family, as you're reading it, as you're as we try to admire our savior and understand more about Jesus, Jesus really is saying If you're in bondage, there's no way you can get out. Think about it. It wasn't that Abram got convicted and said, hey, I'm sorry. In fact, it seems that Sarah told on him. It seems that Sarah just said, this is ridiculous. I got this punk for a husband. Hey, look, man, he came to him. What's wrong with me, girl? He's like, oh, I'm sorry to tell you. Actually, Abraham's my man and Yahweh's my Lord. And that's why you got that stuff. So what I love about the story is, is, is man did absolutely nothing. In fact, Abram was giving away his lineage. He gave away the bride who was going to bring Jesus. And God said, wait a minute, I have a plan. So although you're messed up, although you don't get this, I got to supernaturally intervene because of your sin. And I have to recover your, I have to recover what I've asked you to be about. Now, what I love about that, um, in my journey, I began to think, I said, so in my life, Eric, right here, let me ask you this. What if, what if, what if he would have went to Egypt, some guys would have, you know, he's being a man of courage, some guys stepped to him and he said, look, I'm scared. This is my girl. Yahweh's my Lord. I'm just, I just need some food. See, I'm convinced that because God is sovereign, I'm convinced he would have not have died. I'm convinced if God had to do something supernaturally and kill all the guys right there or make them just say, oh, for some reason, I want to give you bread. I don't know. You know, that God, that something would have happened to keep God's promises true. So the question I was convicted with is like in my life, Eric, does God, does God like save me and deliver me because of my sin or because of my courage? Did you get, did you miss that? Does in your life. Is God always rescuing you because of your sin or because he's like, wow, that was courageous. Let me make sure I protect his brother. That was courageous what he did there. I think I think the same I think the same supernatural action would have happened even if he wasn't in sin. Continue on, please. I saw I talk about foreshadowing because I want to make sure I'm educating. Go back, please. Foreshadowing when I use that word. Basically, what I'm saying there, typology. Is that throughout scripture. Everything is a beeline toward Christ. And so there's, there's aspects in Scripture, as you read in Scripture, where it's trying to help you see, it's trying to sort of give you a taste of Jesus before you get Jesus even. And so the foreshadowing is like, I'm going to show you something before you even, before it's fully realized, to get you excited, to get you hyped about it, right? So to represent, indicate, or typify beforehand, right? So he's trying to show us, um, I, I would propose, even in this narrative, uh, a, a beautiful taste of Jesus's faithfulness of God's faithfulness. All right, let's continue on family. Okay. Um, so it says in verse 18, so Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then here's your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram uh, to, to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything uh, he had. Wow. Notice that. Here it is. Abram gets rebuked by an unbeliever. Isn't that, isn't that deep? 
here it is. Abram is the man who's supposed to be the blessings, right? He's the one who's supposed to allow the blessings to flow. It says in scriptures, and I bless you and those who are kicking it with you will be blessed, right? In fact, he's a curse here. Brother, get a plague because of him. Isn't that irony? Isn't that a great irony there? It's almost like God is, God is just trying to humble us. Like, look, you did nothing, man. I mean, you're bringing curses. Like, nothing to yourself. This is what you do. You bring decreation and destruction. This is what you do. And so let me, let me clean this up, but hopefully you remember something about this. Mm. Let's, go to verse, let's go to chapter 13. He says, get out of here. I mean, you think that he messes up his witness? Can you imagine Abram going up to him after this? Hey, uh, but can I tell you about Christ? <laughs> can you imagine? I mean, he's, he's totally just distorted the gospel. Now, God is gracious, but that's the reality. Right. Very interesting. Very interesting passage. So he's broken. A man who's just all up in sin gave his boo away. It's crazy. Right. Check this out. Verse one. Chapter 13. Verse one. Family. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev. You see that? So now he goes up, He goes back up to where he came from. It says uh, with his wife and everything he had. Right. And Lot uh, went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. And you know how I feel about Lot. Lot is just a goofball, right? He's one of them cats who just, he, he just like, he's parasitical. He's just, he's just eating off the blessings of Abraham, man. He's just like, man, I'm going to stick with this brother because, you know, he got that blessing thing going. So I'll kick it with him. I mean, you're going to see all throughout the text, right? This guy is just a nut ball. So um, he, go, he goes up and it says, He's rich now, which I propose, and I can't go here long, but my proposal to you is almost like, so he, he does this stuff, and almost there's a consequence for sin. Like, he does this stuff, God delivers him, he comes out of it, but he still has all the stuff from that experience. And you know what's interesting? It says he has some of those maidservants and all these people. Guess who one of them are? Hagar. Guess what she does? She and her line only makes confusion for how many? 4,000 years? We still struggling with that today. Isn't that interesting? That from this one experience, we get, we get a line of people who bring havoc upon the church for its history. Now, again, just that's in, in my study. I think there's, I think there's an appropriate principle of the reality like that, you know, when he left there, I wonder if he should have just stripped everything he had and said, you know what, this is start from scratch. This is start, you know, I was kind of crazy. I was kind of hungry, but I'm, I'm, I'm full now. Let me just start from scratch. Let me continue on real quick because of time, family. Um, it says, uh, verse 3, from the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel. Notice this now. Don't miss this, okay, family? Remember where he was, all right? This is, a, this is a story of hope. Remember where he was. Look what it says in verse 3. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel. To the place between Bethel and I, where his tent had been earlier. All right? And where he at first did what? Built an altar. Right, family? There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Mm. So, I, I absolutely love this passage. Here's a guy who falls into sin, and you know what he does? He doesn't wallow in it. He trusts God's grace, and he starts over. Real simple. 
And it, don't miss that. He just starts over. In, in our life, I mean, you know, I, I talk to people all the time who, who will, will do something stupid, right? We'll do something. And, and sometimes you'll make it, say you make a mistake and you'll think, well, but I'm already here now. And you keep going through with it. And it baffles me. It's like, no, you don't have to. And, and as Christians, sometimes we do that. We'll say you, you'll make a decision. You'll realize it's wrong. And then you start like with a lack, like, like false sense of humility, start saying, well, but my word was this. So I guess I'll just keep being stupid. Versus now, I'm not asking you to, to, to not have your word mean anything. The Lord makes it clear your word. Like, like, that's why you don't have to swear, because God is like Christians don't have to swear. They just have to be just tell the truth. Right. So your word is extremely important. But guess what? We mess up sometimes. So God isn't saying you just you just be flipping with your word. God is saying when your word is stupid, repent. Say, you know what, man, here's what I said I was going to do. It was wrong. I'm sorry I said that. I know that doesn't model a godly character. I repent. Will you forgive me? But I'm not going to keep doing a stupid thing here. You follow me, family? God is saying, look, you just clean it, clean it up. You don't sit around doing this sinning. And, and, then, what, what, and then another thing, what we got to be, as we're, as we're encouraging people in our body and discipling people, is I, I, it's interesting how we'll begin something in sin, and then we'll keep lumping sin on top of it. Thinking almost, a, if, we, if, I, if I keep this, this road, it'll eventually get me out to that end. Again, the means don't justify the end. Remember that? God has said, no, you start over. Can you, can you continue on, please? So, what are we learning here? So the Lord, again, the Lord's faithfulness. Now, I want you to, uh, now I'm, I'm putting that up there. And I, we talked about it a little bit. I want to show you a different aspect of the passage toward the end. Continue on, please. What we see here is we see initiation by God. Let's talk about the Lord's faithfulness. We see initiation by king, by the king, who grabs his brother when he's all in sin. Wasn't trying to get out. He had all his stuff and he was chilling, according to the text. Okay? Continue on. Then we see deliverance. We see, well, we see God delivering him, which is a depiction of God's grace. That you don't have to stay in this place. And what God does, he can deliver us. Continue on, please. But what's cool is in his faithfulness, what we see is we see a cool response. We see repentance and acceptance of that grace by Abram, right? Fam, uh, specifically some of my friends um, in our community, we're in bondage. And guys, you keep just thinking that, you know, in your own strength, you're going to get out. And what this passage is screaming it's not that you just so, oh, so to be a better person, I need to say, okay, I, now I know Jesus, and then I'll keep trusting my strength. God is saying he wants you to trust Jesus. The beauty of this text is you have a messed up man who gets delivered, not by his own strength, but because of God's love. That's the beauty of this text, is that he does it all for his renown, for his name, because he said he was going to do something. That's the beauty of this text. You don't have to fix yourself. The beauty of this text is that God comes in and says, I got you, because the guy's heart was one of repentance and acceptance. Now, here's the difference. You can confess sin and not repent. Do you hear me, my dear? My, I love y'all. We can confess sin and still keep doing the same thing. Repentance is when you confess sin and you stop doing it. You turn away. Now, 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 now as I say that, at the same time, guess what? Faith is a journey. Faith is a journey. You don't come to Jesus and then have perfect faith. So the, the freedom in that is not for you to never grow. The freedom is that you have grace while going, growing. 
right, that we we realize that, man, okay, Lord, you're going to increase my faith as I want. And when people try to play that role, like I came to Christ and now I'm just perfect and I'll never say they're lying. God wants you to experience his grace while he matures you in your faith. But guys, he wants, the, way you mature, the way you're growing, the Lord is doing something in your heart, is when we have repentant hearts, family. Let me continue on. Then we're going to head home. Okay, fam? Look what it says here. It says, now Lot was moving about with Abram. Um, he also, uh, now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. Whenever he got those. Hang with his boy. Uh, verse 6, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. Isn't that crazy? And quarreling, they couldn't, they couldn't live in the same place, but they had too much loot. All right. Verse 7. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. Okay, so Abram said to Lot, "Let's not have any 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 quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers." Verse nine: Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Real quick, real quick. Notice the change in his disposition and his posture. Notice Abram's change, family. Does that not sound like a godly man to you? He says, you know what? Bro, why are we arguing? Now, here's what's, here's what's interesting about this text. Who was the land promised to? Abram. Lot wasn't supposed to get nothing. He could have said, what you arguing for? This is my land, homie. He didn't. He said, guess what? Why are we arguing? What do you, what? Hey, you, cho- you know what I love about the brother? He even said, you choose. You choose. I'll take whatever you don't take. Now, tell me that's not trust in Jesus. Tell me he's not saying, and, and, and write this address down. Proverbs 19.21, it talks, about, it talks about this. It says, well, basically in a nutshell, you know, a man will try to, like, make their plans. Like, they'll try to, like, order their steps, but the plans are in the Lord. Like, the Lord, the Lord determines things. It's like Abram knew this. Like, you might want to roll the dice, but God, gonna, he going to do what he want to do. I trust the Lord. I ain't worried. I just love that beautiful depiction of a man who experiences God's grace and he's changed. The man is, is he's acting different. Something's going on here. So he says, he says you, you know, do whatever you want to do. Then look at this. says, uh, check this out. Uh, he says here, but I love this. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, like uh, towards Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The, the author puts that in there just to let you know this nuthead chosen area to let you know it's going to be kind of crazy. And, and notice that you know, this is a crazy area of sinners. He's going he to tell you a little more too. Look what he says. He says, so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. What we say about the east? Remember, remember that again? Remember that again? Like, you notice, whenever you cast star going east, it's kind of drama. I think, again, I think there's a typology, I mean, where, where God is just basically saying that that's a, sort of a key word. There might be some drama in a minute. Um, now, don't get scared, like, if you live in Boston or something. Like, it's not, like, east. Like, it's like, um, the two men parted company, because we know California off the chain. So, uh, the two men parted. The two men part of company, right? Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. So he's near Sodom. Check this out. It says 13. Verse 13. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Check it out. He never saw his neighbors. He never knew where he was going. That's what he did. He was just a man of sight. He was just like, oh, man, that looked like this. He's like, this is going to be best in my favor. 
You can tell there was no response. It wasn't like, you know, when you get two really good Christians who want to love each other, they go, no, what do you want to do? Oh, no, what do you want to do? Oh, no, what do you want? None of that. Abram was like, you choose. He was like, all right. What's best for me? Hmm. And he looked. And you see, do you, do you see the, the irony here, what God is trying to show us? You have a man of sight and a man of faith. You have a man who's going, okay, this looks good. He's described the whole place. Look, wow, it looks like a lot of land and water. What's some, oh, I'm going to be off the chain here, right? Abram's like, Lord's my king. I don't need a politic. I'm going to be all right. You see that? Ends on this note, family. And you, and, and you know what happens, you know what happens a lot, right? I mean, you know what happens to his boo, right? Dead. His kids, right? Crazy. I mean, they're having, they're like promiscuous and crazy. I mean, okay, I know I'm, right, I'm about to close. I, by my one principle I would ask that you be considering, um, especially in our community, are there people like Lot in your life where, where you're just going like, man, like, you're just kind of a drain. Kind of self-centered, and, they're, and, they're, and it can hinder you from being about God's business. Just think about that. Just um, the Lord said, "Now check this out." The Lord hadn't talked with Abraham for a while now, right? And notice something else in verse fourteen. Notice um, it says, "The Lord said to Abraham after Lot departed." I love how not only did God so God responds to Abraham after he repents. Because before that, he, he hadn't talked to Abraham yet. You notice that, right? I proposed because he was in his, doing this thing. So God was gracious, but he was like, man, you just broken on his fellowship. You, you know, you're not kicking it with me. But then he repents. Notice he talks to Abraham, but also notice he doesn't talk to Abraham until Lot leaves. Isn't that interesting? So the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had departed from him, lift up your eyes, almost like to encourage him. Good move, Abe. Nice way to trust me. Look what it says here. Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Isn't that encouragement when God says something like that to you? I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So it gives a sense of consecration. Walk the length. You know, that's what we do when you, as a Christian. You do that sometimes. Or you should do, right? You buy a house. We buy the Mac building. You buy a place. You're, in a, you're, you're occupying a spot. You need to be praying for it. You need to be going around the rooms and saying, Lord, would you bless this place? Would you allow people to, to get the gospel here, Jesus? Would you? He consecrates. He goes around and he sort of just consecrates the place. I'm like, oh, man. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre um, in Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Look what he does. So he gets that, he gets that word from the Lord family, and then he uh, builds an altar. Oh, what a beautiful picture. Can we retell the story, family? It starts off, you're going to be blessed. Next verse, famine. You're all messed up. You get scared. You fall into sin. You give your wife to be a hooker. She's about to have sex with a guy. You're blessed. Got all this stuff. And then God says, this is wrong. I love you so much. I'm not going to let you do something stupid. And then he steps in and he delivers his people. And then the response of the people is not, oh, thanks, I'll continue to do my thing. But the response, the response of Abram is he goes back to where he came, to the place where he first began to worship the Lord, and he begins to worship his king. 
then you have this reality where they get so much stuff, they have to separate. And we have one guy here, just Jesus trying to show us some of the scriptures. We have a guy who's about himself. He's selfish. It's about, it's about consuming. It's not about giving. I want to get hooked up. I'm going to be a man of sight. And he says, okay, let me show you another guy, a man of faith. I don't even know what I'm going to get. I'll take the remains. And God blesses him fully. He says, God talks to him, says, you're my son. Re- almost, just almost reinstates, reinstates the blessings to say, you're messed up, you're in sin. But guess what? I'm going to still bless you. When you know you've been in sin and you've been doing all this stuff and then you see God deliver you and bless you and say, I'm still your daddy. I love you so much. What's your response? His response was worship. And I guarantee, I wonder if you know, have you had those moments where you know you should be like, you should really be paying for some stuff and then God delivers you? Prior to his worship was probably some sobbing. I wonder if he sat there and he was just crying going, really, Lord, I get to be blessed like this. I wonder if he just starts sobbing to the Lord. He said, wow. Me? He would know it wasn't what he did. He would know it was just the Lord grabbing him and saying, you're my son. No works, just grace. Family, this is not some story about Abram back in the day. What this is, is a precursor to something that happens even far more grand in the blood of Christ. It's what the Lord has done for you and me. This is what he's done for you. If you don't know Jesus right now, this is him saying to you, this is what I've done. You're in sin. We're messed up. Our intentions are to do evil. And what he does, he draws you and says, I want to tell you about me. I want you to understand you don't have to be in bondage anymore. I can free you. I can deliver you. Only if you would come and have a heart of repentance. That your day-to-day could be one where you would live alive in Christ. And for those of you and me who know Jesus, what a beautiful depiction of God's grace in our life. And what he's saying, hey, guess what? We can be in love with Jesus and still have bondage. Some of us are in shackles right now. And God is saying, don't you realize what I've done? There's sufficiency in Christ. Christ can free you. Not just good principles. Christ himself can free us from these bondages of sin. Okay, family? Think about it. We're going to do a time of, 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 of communion. Um, as you're thinking about this, guys, um, I want you to take communion and just worship your Lord. Um, here's what we do. If you're, if you're a believer, uh, this is a 